Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of the sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. Well, my day started out really great. I woke up this morning with my grandson's head right here with his little arm over my uh, stomach. He's 20 months old. Does not get any better than that. (laughs) Sound asleep, this little cherub face looking up at me. Oh my goodness. I learned you, uh, it's not good to be a children's pastor. I was a children's pastor before I uh, moved overseas and started EGM. And when we had our first daughter, I realized it's not good to be a children's pastor father. The dads have to be different than a children's pastor. But now that I'm a grandfather, I realize it's perfect. (laughs) Uh, Great to be with you today. Uh, Before we look at uh, Luke 19, I have a couple of things uh, I wanted to say about uh, thankfulness to the church for the support that you've given to our ministry over all the years. Uh, Grace Grace Fellowship started uh, supporting us about 15, 16 years ago. And uh, Marla and I moved to Poland in 1991. And my plan was we were going to help churches work with children for about three years, and then we would move back to the States, and I would be a children's pastor again. But God had a different plan, and uh, today the ministry has worked in 15 countries, and we train children's workers around the world. And I've lost count, but I think there's about 30,000 children's workers involved in training programs right now. And we have work on five continents And we're producing Bible teaching materials in nine languages now. And uh, if it weren't for the support of churches like this one, and some people in this church who have supported us since the day we started, uh, the ministry wouldn't be possible. So I just want to say thank you to all of you. And in a few weeks on May 10th, uh, we have our big spring swing event. It's a uh, golf tournament during the day, a banquet, auction, a big, huge, all-day, wonderful uh, event. We would like to invite you to attend. There's a big table outside with a bunch of banner things sticking up, and we would love for you to sign up and uh, join us for that event. And then uh, they also asked me to speak to you about the children's ministry in your own church because you don't have to fly around the world to see God working in the lives of boys and girls. And uh, so you have a great children's ministry in the church here that's really having an impact in the lives of boys and girls. And 
So in your bulletin, you have a little uh, card like this. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should um, fill that out. Uh, The first one is that children are the most receptive audience in this church, I can guarantee you. About 75% of all the Christians alive in the world today, did you hear that? Three out of four gave their life to Christ before they were 15 years old. That's a big number. Children hear it. They don't make it complicated like we do. They don't get old and jaded. And they tend to believe it and act on it. And if you want to have an impact in this church, you can have it in the lives of boys and girls. Second reason is that children are really important to God. I had a professor in seminary. He's now uh, with the Lord. He was a white-haired a church historian, translator, not a children's worker for sure. He had white, white hair. He was kind of a maniac. Uh, well, not a maniac. I'm a maniac. He was like a uh, scholarly person. And uh, his name was Jeffrey Bromley. And he said one of the characteristic features of Jesus' life and ministry was the t- attention he gave to boys and girls. So that's the second reason. The third most important one uh, is if we don't get enough teachers... We're going to have to go with these. (laughs) This is called uh, Dave Puppet. And we're going to have to use them in the rooms because we don't have enough people to work with the children. So we need you to fill out the card and save our children from the Dave Puppet. (laughs) Thank you, Carrie. I wish Dave was in here. (laughs) All right. Um, Let me pray, and then we can look in Luke chapter 19. God, thank you for the work you're doing in the lives of boys and girls in this church and all over the world. And Lord, I'm thinking about uh, last weekend, boys and girls that are Muslim children in Jordan and Lebanon that are refugees, hearing the good news in churches in those two countries. And Lord, I pray that more children in this community around the world in places like India and Russia would know that you love them, care for them, and have a plan for their life. Thank you for this church and the impact they've had in our ministry. Thanks for letting us be part of your work in the lives of children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's uh, look in um, Luke chapter 19. And uh, We just want to note right at the beginning that it starts by saying Jesus entered Jericho. There's a tendency to think about this story as a story of of Zacchaeus, but it really isn't. It's a Jesus story like the whole New Testament is. So uh, Jesus enters the city of Jericho, and Jericho is a very famous city, as we all know. Uh, It was the uh, first city that the Israelites came to when they crossed over the Jordan, when they took possession of the promised land. It's on the west side of the Jordan. Uh, That was where they marched around the city seven times. The walls fell down, and God gave them the city. And after it was taken, they rebuilt it. And by the time this story takes place, Jericho is a a big city. It's got big balsam forests there that were famous all over the Middle East. It was called the City of Roses in uh, Palestine. It was called the Paradise of God. Apparently, Jericho was a beautiful city. It was on the trade route between east and west. It was on the road that went up to Jerusalem, why, why, why Jesus is on it. And it was a famous city. It was a big commercial hub. 
And it was why taxation was a big part of the program in, Jerusalem, in uh, Jericho. So the problem in the time was that the Romans had taken control of Palestine. And is, the Israelites did not have their promised land the way God had promised them. They weren't in control of their own country. The Romans had conquered it. They had set up garrisons in the Palestine and they were dominating the people of God. And one of the ways they did it was by taxing them. So the Romans would collect taxes from them. And it's safe to say that Jewish people were bitter about that. You know, we live in the United States and we've never had this experience here. But I've seen it almost every country I've traveled in. There's been a time in that country's history where someone has had control of their country politically, militarily. And they've lived under oppression. And we don't really know what that's like in the United States. That's the situation here. Jewish people did not like it. They were bitter about it. They were frustrated. God had promised them the land. And now the Romans, the heathens, the Gentiles have control over it. And they're taxing us. And taxation was a symbol of Roman domination of what should have been their land. Jewish people did not like that. Safe to say they were embittered about that. And that's the setting in this passage. So we're introduced in verse 2 to a man by the name of Zacchaeus. So we know right away that he's Jewish by his name. And then Luke goes on to describe him as a chief tax collector. You see it in verse 2. It's the only time that that phrase is used in the Bible. There's tax collectors, but nobody's ever referred to as a chief tax collector. Not exactly clear what it means, but probably something like there was a team of tax collectors that were gathering taxes on behalf of the Romans, and Zacchaeus was their supervisor. So he's managing a group of tax collectors. Then it goes on and says he was wealthy. So if you're a Jewish person and you hear about a chief tax collector who's wealthy, you could assume that he is someone who's greedy, he's profiteering, he's extorting money from people, and that's how he's gathered his wealth. <clears throat> Zacchaeus would have been hated in his community. He would have been worse than a Gentile to a Jewish person. He was someone who was working for the occupying government, collecting taxes on their behalf and profiteering from it and becoming wealthy. He would have been an outcast in Jericho. No Jewish people, person would have spent any time with him. He would have been completely and utterly isolated from the Jewish population in his own city. It's hard for us to realize how despicable Jewish people thought that behavior was. It's worse than someone. It's like someone who's betrayed our country and is working for the enemy and making money doing it. Zacchaeus had to be a lonely person, very lonely, like not a friend in the world. So we read in verse 3, 
It's no wonder. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He just wanted to get a glimpse of him. If you read in Luke chapter 3, verse 12, Luke 15, 1, it's when Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. Zacchaeus had to have heard that Jesus might be somebody, at least has some kind of interaction with someone like me, because he certainly wouldn't have gotten time with anybody in his own social network there. He just wanted to see him, is all he wanted to do. I wanted to suggest this morning that we have a situation like Zacchaeus. He was lonely, but in his loneliness, he went looking for Jesus. There are people here today that are lonely. Loneliness is not always a social phenomenon where you're by yourself socially. Lonely people can have a lot of friends, big social networks, and still feel lonely. Loneliness is associated with rejection, thoughts like no one cares or no one understands. Loneliness can come from working endless hours, stuck on the freeways as we heard, work all day long, trying to build the wealth and maybe doing things that aren't exactly ethically right and slowly building isolation into your own life. Loneliness can rest deep in the heart of a person who may appear to be the life of the party. One only needs to think of someone like Robin Williams. Some of us spend a lot of time pursuing physical beauty, health, and all the accoutrements of success. But deep inside, there's a place of loneliness, maybe even depression. I want to suggest this morning that everybody here has some little place of loneliness in your soul. And Zacchaeus is a reminder that when you feel that way, when you're all, you feel like you're all by yourself and nobody understands or no one cares, you go looking for Jesus. So verse 3, he was short, which I believe is why Dave assigned me this passage. <laughs> Just saying. He didn't ask me to speak on Samson is all I'm saying. And uh, it says in verse 3, he was short, a man of short stature. He could not see over the crowd. I understand that. When we uh, went to London years ago, Marla was pregnant. And when we would go anywhere, they would like, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. They would let her through, and I'd just follow right behind her. And uh, nobody, in Jeruz- uh, nobody in Jericho is going to give Zacchaeus leeway. He's a hated man. He's in the back of the crowd, can't see over, can't get a glimpse of Jesus. So he decides in verse 4 to run ahead, climb a sycamore tree, and climb up it and see if he can find a way to get a glimpse of Jesus coming uh, that way. It's not a a sycamore tree like we have uh, today, like I know sycamore trees. I guess in the Middle East, they're bigger trunk. They have low-hanging branches. And 
he's willing to climb up in the tree. Think about it. He's the chief tax collector in Jericho. You know, he's a man of wealth and stature. He's willing to climb a tree, kind of not a dignified thing to do, maybe even embarrass himself because he's so desperate to see Jesus. It's a reminder that when we feel lonely, we need to do what it takes to find Jesus in that moment of loneliness. Marla and I moved to Poland in 1991, and uh, there was a couple there that had an apartment. They were leaving for about a month, and we lived in it. And uh, Brittany was about three years old, and they were gone, so it was just the three of us. And I remember after about three days, we ran out of food, and I had to go out and try and get food. And you can't speak Polish. We hadn't started our Polish classes yet. So I remember I had some dictionary or something, and I tried to learn how to say, uh, does the lady have orange juice? And I practiced and practiced and practiced, and I went to the first store, and when I went in and said it, well, it didn't sound like that apparently, because she looked at me with like the furrowed eye look you get overseas, like I have no idea what you're saying. And she just looked at me and went, you know. <laughs> so I left there. I went to another store, rolled in there, and mustered up the courage and did it again. No response, just the furrowed eye look. I went to four stores. I went home with no orange juice and read Tom Clancy books for two days. <laughs> I remember feeling so lonely because <laughs> you can't speak, right? can't talk to anybody, and you're all by yourself in another country. I was sending newsletters and reports to the U.S. about how great everything was going on the mission field while at the same time harboring such a feeling of loneliness. I felt lonely many times traveling abroad when you're on a boat in Lake Baikal in Siberia and you're the only person on it that's not Russian, or on a train in India where they're packed in like sardines. I felt lonely even in my marriage. I felt lonely raising children. I've definitely felt lonely when I had to fire someone in our ministry. I felt lonely when we're looking at the budget. I felt lonely raising adult children. When we struggle with loneliness, go looking for Jesus is my thought for us this morning. So, Jesus comes along, and uh, in verse 5, it says, When he reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, when I first started studying this passage, you know what I thought, because I'm a children's worker. Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. Right? I mean, I all know that song. Come on. Yeah, right on. I know this is the younger crowd at Grace. The first service, everybody put their hand up and started singing practically. A lot of you are like, what was that? It's a song we used to teach children in Sunday school about Zacchaeus. Uh, he tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And I want us to um, just note a couple of things here that are really important. And they're super simple, but really, in my opinion, awesome. The first thing is, he calls him by name. Did you ever think of that? So I read one commentator. Apparently, he thought Jesus had like a protocol officer with him who came up behind him when he saw Zacchaeus in the tree. The guy came up and said, Zacchaeus. Chief Tax Collector Jericho. <laughs> no, he looked up and he just knew his name and calls him out by name Zacchaeus. Think about that. Now, uh, we don't do this in English anymore. We used to, but 
in many languages around the world, names are really important, first names, especially your personal name. Uh, so you notice when I asked the lady for juice in Poland, I said, Chipanima, does the lady have orange juice? Because you would never say, do you have orange juice? And you would never use her name, even if you knew it, unless she gave you permission to. In old England, even in early America, would the gentleman like a seat? Would the lady like to come in? And only when someone tells you that you can use their name, do you? Because when you know someone's personal name, it says something about the relationship that you have with them. And it's why it's so significant that he calls him by his name and lets Zacchaeus know immediately that you have some relationship with me, Jesus. And it should be important to each one of us because my second thought is, I've traveled around the world, been in places like India, big countries with a lot of folks. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people in this world and the thought that God knows every one of their names is something majestic. We should just spend a little more time thinking about that. That the God of the universe knows the name of every person and you see it with Zacchaeus. And then my last thought is, when you feel lonely, think and remember that you are on the first name basis with God. And he has a re you have a relationship with him. He knows your name and you know his. That's just awesome. So he says, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. And then he says, I must stay at your house today. And I want us to stop there about this staying at the house business. So in the NIV, the New Revised Standard Version, all the new translations, modern translations, they say, stay at your house. But if you go back and look in the King Jimmy, it says, abide the King James, excuse me, the King James. If you look at the King James Version, it says, abide at thy house. Abide. That doesn't sound like stay. So I went and looked. In the Greek language, this word is translated variously, and I quote, to stay, to dwell, to lodge with someone, remain in a place, even live so when we read in the translation, I must stay at your house, it doesn't mean stopping in for an afternoon snack, cup of coffee, and I'm headed on to Jerusalem. He's going to stay there for a while. He might even spend the night. Zacchaeus responds in verse 6 by practically, you know, jumping out of the tree, and he welcomes Jesus with joy. One commentator said, you know, Zacchaeus may not have realized it, but he was saved the moment he came out of that tree. And then, verse 7, all the other people saw this and began to mutter. Ooh, pray tell. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Not just go to witness to a sinner. Not just go to try to convert a sinner. Not just go to give him a four spiritual laws. He's going to stay there. Maybe for a while. 
And this is the guy that's a traitor to our people. He's worse than a Gentile. He's outcast in this city. And Jesus is going to go maybe even spend the night there. And there's a lot of murmuring and muttering. It appears that Jesus is going to stay there. It's not a hit and run evangelism. He actually cares about Zacchaeus. And wants to show Zacchaeus the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, Some of you know we adopted a boy when we were in Poland. And uh, it was quite a story. Uh, His birth mother had a 13-month-old baby when he was born. And when uh, we got him, she just couldn't take another baby and uh, they, the hospital was trying to find a family, and we ended up with Caleb. He's 26 now, serving in the U.S. Army. So we uh, had to keep an arm's length from the birth mom. Her name was Malgosha. We didn't want to give any appearance that we were foreigners, you know, trying to give money for a baby and So we had to wait for the adoption process to go forward. And meanwhile, a lot of our younger friends felt it would be a good idea, and we encouraged them to go and minister to Malgosha. So they started, and it turned into quite a a parade of our friends going to Malgosha's house, all of them trying to save Malgosha. Malgosha was not a Christian. They took spiritual laws. They took the wordless book. They took books. They took everything you could possibly imagine, trying to evangelize Malgosha. And uh, one of our younger friends, Eva Kochkowska, decided to go and uh, visit Malgosha, and she had her spiritual laws with her. She was going to, you know, hit her again, I guess, or something. And so Eva went to the door, knocked on the door. Malgosha opened it. Uh, this story was related to us later by Eva. Malgosha opened the door, and she had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And... Uh, Eva said, hi, I'm a friend of the Watts family, and I wanted to come and visit you. Malgosha said, if you are here to tell me about Jesus Christ and how to become a Christian again, thank you, but no thank you, cigarette back in and slam the door in Eva's face. Eva was shocked because that's exactly what she was going to do. <laughs> so Eva decided, we love Eva, Eva decided to Christian lie. So... She knocked on the door again. Malgosha opened the door again. <laughs> I could picture Malgosha with a cigarette. And uh, Eva said, no, 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 I just came to visit. And, you know, like tucked her four laws in her pocket. <laughs> she went in and sat down with Malgosha. Malgosha made tea, and they visited for a while. Malgosha asked Eva if she would go somewhere with her. So they left. They left and went on the bus to the cemetery. They got out and they walked to the little boy's grave who had died at 17 months. It was her first son. And uh, Malgosha sat down on a bench. And Eva sat down next to her. Malgosha took her hand. Eva said she just held her hand 
while she cried. Abba said the Lord spoke to her on that bench, reminded her that God wanted her to love Malgosha, whether Malgosha became a Christian or not. Uh, Jesus loved Zacchaeus, wanted to go and be with him in his home. Oftentimes, the very people that we seek to avoid are the ones Jesus would have us reach out to as he did. And not for the purpose of, as my precious wife Marla says, making them a project. It's to share the love of Christ with them in word and in deed. Jesus wanted to go to his house just because he loved Zacchaeus. So we read on in verse 8. A lot of murmuring. It's not good. People outside are murmuring. And so in verse 8, but Zacchaeus. But has to be in response to the murmuring and the muttering. They're all out there. Ah, that sinner, that tax collector. And But Zacchaeus says, I'm going to... Give half of my possessions to the poor here and now. In verse 8. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. If you go look in the law, there's nothing in the law in the Old Testament that requires you to give half of your possessions to the poor. It's a statement of he feels so convicted. He realizes what he's done is not right. And so his response is, he's going to give half of everything he owns to the poor because he's repentant for what he's done. He says he'll give back four times everything he cheated. You can go look in the law. You know, it's not exactly clear. Exodus 22 talks about when animals are stolen and cheating. And Numbers 5, 5 through 10 talks about when you steal something, you have to give back plus 20%. But... Giving four times what you stole is either at the requirement of the law or beyond it. Because it's not about Zacchaeus meeting the requirements of the law. It's from a heart of conviction. He knows he did something wrong and he wants to make it right. It's the evidence of a transformed heart. It's amazing what one encounter with Jesus can do to a person in terms of conviction and uh, wanting to turn away from misdeeds and follow Christ. Some of us, well, not some of us, all of us this morning have said things we shouldn't have said, done things we shouldn't have done. Some of us have maybe never, ever talked to Jesus about forgiveness. We feel guilty about something we may have said this morning even or thought. And this passage is about repentance and forgiveness. Let me just suggest that in the world we live in today, we have three choices. I've watched it. It's in the Bible. The first one is when we feel convicted, we know we've said something wrong, done something wrong. We can go to denial. We suppress the feelings of guilt, conviction, 
We try to convince ourselves we really didn't do anything that bad. And we just ignore it. After all, guilt and shame are not good for us. We need to stay positive and keep moving forward. Right? It's a lot of the world we live in. That's not healthy. Second response is uh, what I refer to as wallowing. We accept the shame. We accept the guilt. And then we sit in it and we soak in it. We beat ourselves to death over it. We note that we're depraved sinners. And whatever God does to us is what we deserve. And we just wallow in our guilt. Not healthy. And not the biblical way. The way is the way of Zacchaeus. Who repents and receives forgiveness in his life is renewed. We accept our responsibility for what we've done and what we've said. We admit it. We don't hide from it. And then we realize that God is a loving God. And no matter what we've thought, said, or done, the grace of God is greater. And there's forgiveness to be had. This is how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. And Jesus says in verses 9 and 10, Today's salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Notice he doesn't say, come to your house and come to you, a son of Abraham. He says to this house and to this man, it's in the third person and it's crystal clear. He wants the murmuring crowd to hear. Don't be caught in your own self-righteousness. We are all in need of grace and forgiveness and renewal, all of us. Not just Zacchaeus. The question is, what is he saved from? When it says salvation's come to his house, what what is he saved from? You know, we use that term so often. Let me just suggest, in Zacchaeus' case, he's served from the dreadful judgment that's coming for anyone who's lived their life apart from Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day to do that and be saved from God's judgment. I also believe that Jesus is telling him that you're saved from the life of loneliness and isolation that he lived. You're saved from the guilt that accumulates like your wealth, he's telling him. You're saved from a life of extortion and greed He's telling Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was living a life lost from God. And Jesus is offering him salvation from that and a new life in him. Today, some of you, and me included, may be feeling loneliness, a little isolation somewhere. Maybe you're the life of the party even. But somewhere in your heart, there's a place of loneliness. Others may be convicted. They're in need of confession, repentance, forgiveness. You feel guilt. Guilt is powerful. Years ago, I was on a plane. I've spent a lot of time on planes. 
You know, when planes fly over, I look up and think, I'm glad I'm not on that. <laughs> I was sitting on a plane. I love my dad's generation. It was a man there just a little older than my dad. I asked him, said, we were talking about Europe because I was going back to Poland. And he said uh, he had been to Europe three times, but the first time he went, he didn't need a passport. I remember thinking, how can you get into a country and you don't need a passport? He um, told me that when he was 19 years old, he enlisted in the Army. There was no Air Force then, and they put him in the Army Air Corps. He was trained to fly in a B-17 as a bombardier or something. Uh, Never been off the farm, corn farm in Iowa, he told me. And then they flew to Venezuela, then to the Azores, and then up to England. And he was put in the 8th Air Force. The first raid, they flew over Germany. The plane got shot down. Just less than 20 years old. Parachuted into Germany. Couldn't find any of the rest of the crew. They take you through training about what to do in those situations, he told me. And he lived out in the woods until he ran out of food and water. And they taught him, I guess, at four in the morning or something when it's just before light. Go in and try and find food and water in a small town and then get back out in the woods. And so he snuck in and was trying to break into a store. And a little boy saw him. Little boy ran off. Next thing you know, the gendarmes came and he was arrested. Sent to a Stalag, lived two more years in Germany till the end of the war. And survived. And made it home, got married. He was a grandfather as I flew with him on that plane. And uh, he told me in 1995, he was going back to Europe to celebrate the 50th anniversary at the end of the war with the men, women that had served in his unit about three months or so before the anniversary when he was to, to, to fly, he received an envelope in the mail. And Dave's in the story. Uh, the envelope was from Germany. He didn't know anybody in Germany. And uh, he opened it. Inside there was a letter in German and another one in English. Turns out the letter in German uh, was translated by the guy's daughter. And it was that little boy who'd been looking for him for 50 years, trying to find him. He wrote in the letter that I turned you into the police. I hope I didn't ruin your life. I think you're still alive. I hope I didn't ruin your life. And I hope you can forgive me. I grew up and realized what my country had done. In Germany, I was just a little boy at the time. I didn't know any better. And can you please forgive me, he wrote. After 50 years, the guy told me that he flew to Germany, er, I mean, early to Europe, flew to Germany, met that man who was like 58 years old and said, you're forgiven face to face. And he said, forgiveness is more powerful than guilt. (laughs) Some of you may be feeling guilt this morning, and there is no need. Jesus is ready to give us forgiveness just the way he did Zacchaeus. Some of you may be thinking of someone you need to uh, develop a relationship with. It's not a project. Some of you may be feeling a bit lonely this morning. 
if you're in any of those groups, I hope you find a tree with a view that you can climb, get a glimpse of Jesus who knows your name and experience life-changing salvation as Zacchaeus did. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you know our name. We're thankful for Jesus and for the new life that he offers each one of us. Those of us who have followed him for years, we're thankful for the grace installment we can receive today and the way that you're renewing our life each moment. Lord, I pray that you would minister to anyone here who feels a pang of loneliness or isolation. And Lord, all of us know somebody that we need to reach out to with the love of Christ, not as a project, but with your love. Help us to do that. And we'll give you glory for it. And we pray in your name. Amen.